Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Las Vegas, Nevada, and in particular, Caesars Palace, and in particular, from atop the Nobu Villa on the rooftop of the world's first Nobu Hotel uh, at Caesars Palace. And if you've got to spare $35,000 a night hanging around, you can stay here too. I don't know how they let me in. It's the old Groucho Marx line that you would never join a club that would have him as a member, but I guess somebody wasn't watching. That's where we're coming from. So much to talk about, especially about Las Vegas right now, because if you go back to, let's say, 2007, 2008, this was not a pleasant place to be. The economy was tanking. Uh, President Obama basically said, don't go to Las Vegas, and people basically didn't come. Nobody wanted to be caught here. Uh, it wasn't what happens in Vegas days in Vegas. First, it had to happen in Vegas, and it wasn't. Um, what saved Las Vegas at that point was from thousands of miles away. It was the island of Macau. Um, and the investments made by the Venetian and by Wynn and by, and by MGM. And, um, you know, and now things are turning around. In fact, what's amazing is that for the first time since 2007, they're now making more money in Las Vegas than they did in 2007, which is basically, you know, reigniting the economy, providing more jobs and more and more investment, which means, oh, my God, they're going to build even more hotels. Well, joining me now is somebody who's been on the show with us before, has the best title of, you, of anybody you could have in Las Vegas. He's the director of the Center for Gaming Research. I thought that was my title <laughs> at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. David Schwartz. How are you, David? I'm doing great, Peter. So let's talk about that economy, because... 
it is starting to turn around in ways that may not have been expected. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, before the recession, nobody could have seen this. The thing is that last year, casinos won less money from gambling than they did. They still haven't come up to where they were in 2007, but they made more money because they made a lot more money from non-gaming. So even though they're not making money from gambling as much as they used to, it's restaurants, it's entertainment, restaurants, entertainment, especially the entertainment. That's becoming really big. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that because it gets out of control here. Just the cabana culture. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the club scene. Can you explain this? OK, you're, you're the head of research. So help <laughs> me out here, David. Who's got $10,000 a night to spend at a club? Apparently quite a few people. That, that concludes your research? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, there's there's quite a lot of them, apparently, more than there, you thought there would be. And everybody keeps on saying, well, the boom is going to end sometime soon, and I guess it will someday, but that day is not here yet. I mean, you have the, the nighttime club scene, but you mm -hmm. have the daytime club scene with the cabanas, and people are spending four and $5,000 just to have a little set seat at the pool. They are, and that really shows the way the Vegas casinos are going. It used to be that you would have a room that might be active a couple hours a day. Now they want to make money out of stuff pretty much 24-7. So your pool is a pool during the day. At night, it becomes a club. Somebody shared this with me uh, over at, at the club called Excess, which is over at the Wynn. Mm -hmm. And they said every night, I mean, th and their metrics are quite specific. I mean, they've got this down to the penny. Now think about this number, David, and it probably is what keeps your job, right? <laughs> Every night at that at that club, every square foot generates twenty eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Every square foot. Yeah. How? By charging a lot for alcohol, and the reason why people pay so much is because of the excitement, the vibe, and the proximity to what's going on. All right. So then we know what's working, right? It's employing mm -hmm. a lot more people, and people are pocketing a lot more money. What's not working? Well, I think. Las Vegas is really changing, and it used to be that people would come here and fly and drive really long ways to sit down in front of a slot machine and hit buttons for a while, and that's not really what's happening. And over the past couple of years, people are gambling less. You know, last year I think the fewest is the fewest number of people gambling in Vegas in a long time. So even though there's more people, 41 million people a year, a lot of them aren't gambling at all. Those who do gamble are gambling less. So they're gambling so about they're 50 minutes they're less. They're gambling less and spending more money on wine. Yeah, yeah, wine. Also, if you notice, a lot of the casinos have opened up attractions that are open to the Strip. So things like the Link, which is across the street from oh, us. I, here, I can see can, it right out the window here. See, yeah. That's what is that the world's tallest observation room? Observation room, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they've opened up things like that because people aren't just sitting down in one casino in front of a slot machine. They want to walk up and down the Strip, and they'll kind of go in here and spend a little money here, buy something, get something to drink, and uh, do that. And by the way, it's faster to walk on the strip than to drive on the strip. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, you, you see it daytime and nighttime. So when you're building and designing a hotel, which gets into research as well, mm -hmm. you're looking at, at traffic flow. You're looking at yeah. people flow. Yeah. And they found that there's a lot of people walking past, you know, for example, this intersection here where we are, I think something like 22 million people a year walk past that. So it makes a lot of sense to say, yeah, we're going to open up some stuff that's accessible to them. Well, if 22 million people are walking in front of Caesar's Palace every year, and you get one-tenth of one percent to stop and order a bottle of something, mm -hmm. you're in. Yeah, yeah, and that's why they've invested a half billion dollars in everything we can see out this window here. Wow. And you're still, but you still have hotels here that haven't opened, like the Fountain Blow, uh, the Harmon, which is never yeah. going to open, yeah. right? I mean, that was a total disaster from day one. Yeah, that's, and it's really not sure where the fault lies, but that was probably a perfect storm of things going wrong. Right. But even so... With the money coming back into Vegas, people are starting to build again. They are. 
they are. Resorts World, which is run by Genting, which is a Malaysian company, has really created some waves. They're going to be opening up a big themed hotel. Wow. I'm telling you, every time you think Vegas is down for the count, they turn back. Talk yeah. about resilience. It's all about reinvention, you know. So people aren't coming here to sit in front of a slot machine and push buttons. So, hey, what do they want to do? They want to go to day clubs and cabanas and that kind of stuff. So the city's always reinventing itself to do what people want to do. Plus, as they expand outside the Strip, there are a lot of activities that the hotel can enable you to do that don't necessarily take place in the hotel. Yeah, and that's another thing. Another way that I think Vegas is going to expand because we have more international travelers coming here. They're spending more time here and they're not going to spend all their time in the Strip. You can get kind of burned out from that. So I think they're doing more excursions in the area. You got it. Well, Dave, I got to tell you, this, it's always a great pleasure to have you on the show because I always learn something. I always walk out shaking my head because I can't <laughs> figure out, you know, how this can be. I mean, how people can still spend $10,000 a night on a bottle service at a club. I just want to be their guest. I just don't want to get stuck with the bill. <laughs> yeah. Have you been? No. <laughs> and no. that's why you still have your job. That's why, yeah, I'm still working. <laughs> even the director of the Center for Gaming yeah. Research at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for let me take you back on a little trip down memory lane maybe 30 years ago to what was considered a buffet in las vegas it was sort of like you know 4.95 all you can eat um prime rib macaroni and cheese more Au gratin potatoes, more au gratin potatoes. Oh, what a surprise, more potatoes, uh, some peas, carrots, and some really kind of cardboardy cheesecake. Um, and people would line up because they would just stuff their face. And they were in it for the, for, the, for the inexpensive nature of it. And that was it. And it was sort of like an afterthought at most hotels uh, just to satisfy people between their, you know, their gambling. Well, times have changed. Not only do you have almost every major star chef in the world here, and we'll be talking to some of them uh, in the show, but you also have something that's transformed in terms of the buffet. And the one that's here at Caesar's Palace, I, 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 it's, it's, it's staggering. Um, it's probably the largest one I've ever seen. It was opened back in 2012. Uh, it has had a few million guests. It's been voted by so many people the number one buffet by buffet experts, whatever that means, and people who eat a lot. Uh, but you know what? It gets my vote as well. It's called the Bacchanal. And joining me right now is the, uh, uh, the, the chef. I mean, Ryan Primo Nguyen. Ryan, how many different, how big is this thing? Uh, it's huge. Um, we have nine different stations, and they're all action. They're all cooking fresh in front of you. Um, and yeah, that's the other thing. A lot of other buffets, that stuff has been sitting there for a while. Yeah, they're coming out of a hot box. Ours is pretty much made a la minute, so... Once you see it being made, you, you could even see the cooks making it in front of you. So it doesn't stay out very long. But when we say nine different stations, it's not just like Jello and, no, and what, are, what are we talking about? We got a whole seafood station. You have an American station with pure fresh carving in front of you. You have a pure, like a Latin station that hits every Latin cuisine <laughs> that you have. Um, we have a, a Mediterranean station for making fresh pizzas in front of you, fresh dishes in front of you, fresh pastas, and, and 
we have a charcuterie board that has seven different meats onto it. We have a cheese station that has 10 different kinds of cheeses on it. Okay, so stop right there. Here we go. Here's my question. Tell me the truth. When people go in there, because when you first see it, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah, it is. Right? So when you first see it, you go, oh, I got to eat that. I got to eat that. And all of a sudden, you know, people don't pace themselves. They go crazy. But what's the one station that gets attacked first where people just cannot stay? I mean, they just like make a beeline and they attack it. Seafood, hands down. I mean, do you see from people from old to little kids having dozens of just oysters and king crab legs on their plate? So that's, I would say, the number one aim you know it's funny when i go to weddings or bar mitzvahs and it's catered and the, and the caterers come out there's one thing you're gonna laugh when you hear this but you know i'm gonna be right there's one thing that they and when, this is when i used to eat meat so i'm not eat meat now but i'm telling you from personal experience when i did mm -hmm. eat meat this would happen the caterer would come out with a tray of these things and the entire room would turn right and race I mean, the poor guy would be getting killed you know mm -hmm. what it was pigs and blankets yeah, we have a lot of fun, integral... You have uh, pigs and blankets? Well, we have something very similar, you know, <laughs> but we, we played with a lot of little mini miniature dishes that we feature from every station, so... What's your, like, coolest specialty dish you got there? Coolest specialty dish right now? Um, funny as it is, since it's summertime, it's hot outside, we have some really new seasonal salads out right now. How dull it sounds, but you won't find them anywhere else. And what's the wildest fish you got? Wildest fish that I have on the menu right now, um, it's a New Zealand sea bass. It's not related to the endangered Chilean one, but it's it's pretty close to the family, and it's done in a Asian style. It's uh, miso-based. Oh, oh miso-based. Now we're talking yeah. Nobu time. Yeah. See? Very similar. Okay. So if you can't get into Nobu, you hit the you hit the thing. How much does this thing cost? Um, it depends what meal period you get into. You could range from breakfast at low 30s into getting into dinner to 50s. It's 50s, right? Yeah. And, of course, there's two classes of service there. There's eating and more eating. Right. Correct. And we haven't even talked about desserts. No, not yet. What's the, what's the most popular dessert? Quickly. Um, I just think uh, regular, like creme brulee and cupcakes and lollipops. But if you walk there, that's a whole other realm as well. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. that are here in Las Vegas, and they're not necessarily always in the hotel or always on the strip. Um, as, Las, as Las Vegas expands, there are other opportunities out there, and we're not just talking about, you know, the Grand Canyon or, or climbing Red Rocks or going out to Lake Mead. Uh, there's some opportunities for some great thrill-seeking behavior. Uh, the last time I was here, I did something called Dig This. I went out and operated heavy machinery and, and, and caterpillar tractors and trailers, had a ball. Um, and I should say, in the interest of full disclosure, this morning I did something else, which is a lot of fun. I went out and uh, put on my daredevil outfit and did some dream racing. What's that? Well, I got inside a car, not just any car, on a serious track about 20 minutes outside of Las Vegas and scared the heck out of myself. But you know what? It, I'm, t I'm talking to you, so I did it. And uh, I did about five laps. And the guy who runs this, Dream Racing, 
Uh, the first, the first, the guy who who took me around, uh, you, I didn't do it by myself. Okay, they, I mean, you suit up, you put the helmet on, you look, you look the part. Okay, I'll I'll go that far. You look the part, and then they have an instructor with you who is very, very good at making sure you, you know, you don't have to claim the deductible on the car, <laughs> and you make it. And uh, joining me now is the guy who owns this job. But but what's even better about this is he's lived this life. In fact, he won the Grand Prix in Monaco. And he's, uh, he's done some other things in his life that brings him here. He's been here for four years now, running this with all sorts of Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Mercedes or two. And his name is Enrico Bertaggia. Did I get it right? Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Okay. I will talk like this for the rest of the show because I don't know what I'm doing in the car. Italian. Okay, fine. Well, you know what the first rule of Italian driving is, don't you? What's it behind me? It's not important. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, wait, you won the Grand Prix. I won a Grand Prix in Monaco. Uh, 1988, when I was uh, a young kid uh, looking for a great career in racing cars. After Monaco, I won also Macau, that is the world championship of Formula 3. And then I jump and jump into Formula 1. That is the dream of every kind of young kid that want to drive uh, in competition in the world. You know, it's one thing to go around a track here. The Monaco Grand Prix, there's not a track. You're running around the city. Yes, it's a city. It's a small city. Only 30,000 people lives there. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, to, to have the, a great experience, great race. At that time, uh, the prince and the princess, uh, after the race, they told me that I should uh, live in Monaco. And that's where I come from. I lived there for 20 years. Well, you see, if you win the race, you win the prize of getting to live there. Exactly. I'll tell you a little bit of history about this hotel. In 1989 and in 1990, I actually raced the Grand Prix of Las Vegas with Paul Newman the famous American actor, because yeah. he was a ma major race car driver. But the Grand Prix of Caesar's Palace, it was weird because you're zipping around the hotel. I mean, it's, it's like, talk about bumper cars on acid. I mean, this was crazy. Now that's all been taken over by more buildings and pools and everything else. Yeah. But now you got, you know, 15 miles out of town, you got a serious track out there. Absolutely. You know, the speedway, the Las Vegas Motor Speedway is only 15 minutes from, from the strip. So it's very easy to arrive. And uh, there are a lot of a lot of things to do over there. The the best things, in my opinion, is dream racing because you have racing car, you have uh, drifting, you have a hot lap, you have Ferrari, Lamborghini, McLaren, Porsche. There is there is really you forgot one. You got Greenberg. I was there early today. You but <laughs> but, but but here's my question for you. Yeah. What was the car I was driving today? It was a Ferrari. It's a Ferrari 458 GT cars, a serious car with slick tires. But you saw it was probably. You know, the first time for you in a GT cars of that kind of car, and you run perfectly. And how fast was I going? How a race truck, you know. Come on, the, flatter the, me, come the, on. The cars can arrive at 190 miles per hour, but on the straight that you were, the configuration of the race truck you use today, 130, 135. I was going that fast? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's call my insurance speed. agent. No. But does anybody ever like crack up the car? But the I truth. I crossed my finger. Uh, no, no, because because you got somebody in the car making sure they don't do exactly. something stupid. And to be honest with you, the Las Vegas Motor Speedway is very safe. It's a very race, safe race track, and we have an instructor, we have procedure, and the people you know they are they are less crazy that you can think. When they arrive over there, they get intimidated because the car is real. The real. The, the yeah, this real. isn't bumper cars at the amusement park. This is real. Yeah, this is real. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing is. If you're going to party in Vegas, at least give yourself eight hours of sleep before you go out there to the track because you cannot drive these cars hungover. 
Absolutely, uh, but this is this is also a good a good suggestion, especially on the road. On the road, you know, uh, if you if you drive and and you're drunk, uh, the, all the reflex and all things uh, became late. So it's something that even on the racetrack is even worse. I know. So mm -hmm. because it's amplified, it's yeah. it's, it's yeah. intensified. Listen, I had a great experience. I actually looked the role. I can actually impress my friends now. Now I'm really excited. I drove 135 miles an hour. Next time, and I didn't get high. a ticket. Nope. I didn't get a ticket. <laughs> If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. As I do every week at this time, I encourage you to go to our website for one other reason. That's for our comprehensive list of all the aid and relief organizations doing all that hard work all around the world especially in places like Nepal, which suffered two separate earthquakes in a span of less than two weeks. All the organizations there are doing such hard work, but then you come into play after the first responders leave, and you can dedicate a day, a week, whatever, uh, whether it's in Nepal or New Orleans, to helping people out. And what you get back from what you give back is exponential in return, so check out our website at petergreenberg.com. Joining me now uh, is someone who I used to work with at the Today Show way back when, uh, when she came on and guest hosted and did cooking segments, and now she's got her own restaurant here in Las Vegas, right across the street from me, as a matter of fact, as I look out the window here at Nobu at, uh, at the Cromwell. Her name, when you know, Giada De Lorenas. Hello, Giada. Hi, Peter. How are you? It's been a while, but lovely to talk to you. Yes, it has. Yes. Welcome I'm... to Las Vegas, Peter. <laughs> Happy to... <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, happy to be here. I should say the same to you. I mean, how has it been for you to to, to open up a restaurant here uh, and, and, you know, in a world of everybody being a celebrity chef, in a world of everybody having a brand? Uh, you know, you're in some pretty heavy-duty company here. So what do you do when you come up with a concept for a restaurant, uh, especially here, to make it different? Well, that's exactly it, make it different. And I think uh, what's unique about this opportunity, first of all, the space. Have you have you actually stepped foot in the restaurant? No, I'm going over there a little later. I just I just looked out the window and saw it from. Yeah, of course. Oh, good because I'll be there. Okay. So I'll give you a giant hug. Okay. But, uh, but the space is phenomenal. First of all, it was a two-floor parking garage that we turned into. Wait till you see it. An unbelievable space with windows um, that open up onto the strip, and the view of the Bellagio fountains and the entire strip, especially lit up at night, is phenomenal. So that, number one, is an opportunity that most chefs never get. Usually get handed a restaurant that's been there, turned over, I don't know, maybe 20 times, and they just paint it and slap your name on it. And I got to actually build a space from scratch, raw space. All right, so, so, that's so, so let's talk about that for a second because you got that opportunity. Did you know exactly what kind of ovens you wanted? Did you know exactly what kind of lighting you wanted? Um, I mean, all the different things, all the component parts that go into it? 
I knew what I wanted it to look like, and I knew that I wanted uh, more of a homey feel, more of like couch chairs instead of chairs that feel so uncomfortable that you need to get out of your seat and get done with dinner. I wanted an inviting um, atmosphere. I didn't want the first thing when you walk through the doors to be uh, the bar scene. I wanted it to be an antipasto uh, area where you see food first. There were certain criteria that I knew I needed and wanted. Now, when it comes to light fixtures and all that, I kind of learned as I went along, and I had an idea of what I wanted, but I definitely uh, had help, for sure. Um, but I definitely knew sort of, you know, what colors I was going for, what fabrics I wanted, that I wanted more neutral, with pops of color, like all the things that I normally love in my normal life, I tried to instill into the, and put into the restaurant, because I wanted people to feel like they were coming over to my house for dinner. Now, my well, house since, is not as uh, big as my restaurant, but you know, <laughs> that's what I was going for. That's the feel, like a giant hug when you walk through the doors. Well, since we're in that department about about the, the hominess of it, there are some restaurants that may have great food, but the noise in there um, is such that you can't even hear yourself eat, let alone speak. So how did you deal with, with that challenge? Well, everything's padded really well. And in certain areas, I have giant rugs that sort of um, absorb sound. I also have uh, fabrics and the ceilings and stuff that absorb sound. So that's kind of how we did that part of it. Um, the sound issue is always a problem because, you know, the sound bounces off the walls a lot. There's painting. There's all sorts of things that have been built in to absorb sound. So it's really uh, not terribly noisy. So that's that's really great. Um, all right. So now I've, I've, it, I've, left, I've, yeah. I've left the best for last here. We've got, we got to talk about the food. In terms of your menu design, what did you want on that menu? And I always ask this of chefs, so i got to ask it of you, too. What did you put on the menu initially that you thought was going to just be the most popular dish ever, and it tanked? And then what did you put on the menu that you thought, who's ever going to order this, and it became the most popular dish in the joint? I'm not sure I put anything on the menu I thought would tank, per se. Um, but I will tell you that. Uh, there was a lot of skepticism when I was doing my menu about the actual dishes I wanted to put on the menu that a lot of people felt would not sell in Vegas. That if you what? were to open a restaurant in California, it would make sense. My like my lemon spaghetti, like my vegetable bolognese, um, many of those things that I am now known for. I mean, we sell between four and five thousand uh, lemon spaghetti a month, and we only do it at <laughs> night. Okay. Wow. It's lemon spaghetti. I mean, it is not like, it's not something that's braised and cooked for hours on end. It's not short rib ragu. I, I have that too on the menu. And what I think is most surprising about my restaurant is how many people order vegetarian food. Vegetarian. In a town where there are more steakhouses than, <laughs> I don't know, than strip joints. I mean, honestly, like, it's crazy how many people come to my restaurant and order vegetarian food. So I think that is the most surprising thing. So I'm known for my lemon spaghetti and my lemon ricotta cookies, which are my grandmother's recipe. And that is insane that I'm known for those two things in a town where everybody eats meat here. <laughs> right. Well, you, so, be, well yeah. you become you become the alternative now, you see. I am the alternative. <laughs> yes. I, I. No, I'm not just the alternative. I, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. I mean, I think that people, I mean, I have steaks on my menu too, but they don't do as well. They just don't. I mean, you know, I, it's kind of it's kind of amazing. But it, it just shows you that 
people, they want to have a great time. You can have a great time. You can eat at a really fancy, upscale restaurant, but you can also feel good when you walk out the door. And that, to me, was the message I wanted to bring to Vegas. And it's worked. It's worked and then some. So, well, um, listen, since, since, you've, since you've offered the idea of the hug for me to, if I come over, I will be there very soon for that hug and, I'll, and maybe a veggie. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give you lots of veggies, okay? There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendant's on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash. You got to pay with plastic. If you have a coupon, you know, Every time you blink in Las Vegas, there's another hotel opening. Or in the case of Nobu, there's a hotel opening within a hotel. Um, and it just, it's surprise after surprise after surprise. As I said earlier in the show, we're coming to you from atop the, uh, the Nobu Villa, which goes for a little paltry $35,000 a night at the top of the Nobu Hotel, which is inside Caesar's Palace, overlooking the Strip. Um, and the question that has to, to be asked by, by me to people who might actually know the answer is, at what point does it all stop? At what point do you stop building? Or if you're going to build, what do you build into it that's going to keep people coming? And the person who knows that is the vice president for hotel operations here at Caesars. With a distinguished career in hotels all around the world, we, we, we just tried to figure out how many different places we bumped into each other prior to today. Uh, Ramesh Sadwani, how are you, sir? I'm great, Peter. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you heard the question. Um, you know, you, you had a distinguished career, what, 16 years at that's Four correct. Seasons? That's correct. Um, all around the world. You and I, I think we met in, in Beverly Hills, but the Maldives and Toronto and you name it. What's changing in this business right now, especially in Las Vegas? Because there's also a four seasons in Las Vegas. There is. But, you know, I think one of the great things about Vegas is it's really good at reinventing itself. So we Does do it have a choice? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> but I think that's what, that's what makes this business so exciting. You know, we, we pay a lot of attention to what our guests are looking for. Uh, we talk to our guests uh, and, and figure out what might be the next thing. And you all always right, so, want to try and stay ahead of the curve. All right, so let's talk about that, because there's always that trade-off between style and substance. You know, guests will always say to you, oh, I'm on vacation, I don't want to be disturbed, when in fact they want to know about Wi-Fi. They want that connectivity. That's the first thing they want to do, even if they say they're on vacation. So at what point do you stop list listening to the guests who are fantasizing and delusional and give them what they really need and then give them what they think they want? Well, there are times when we go ahead and do, do these things anyway, and if they don't work, we go back to the drawing board and recreate ourselves. All right, so let's talk about the stuff that worked and the stuff that didn't work. Give me an idea that you did that worked beyond your wildest imagination in terms of design or service. So uh, Oct our Octavius Tower in the Laurel Collection is a prime example. The rooms are... That's at Caesars? It, it that, is. is that one of the villas? It, it, no, no, it's actually one of our towers. Right. It was the latest edition that we had. And we created rooms with about approximately 650 square feet. You know, in the old way, in the old days, the rooms were typically like 350 square feet. Yeah, because they didn't want you in the room. Exactly. They wanted you out the door. But what we we're hearing from our guests was they wanted a place where they could retreat once they'd done all the fun stuff. And they wanted to have a place where they could sit down, relax, and socialize and enjoy. So we created some really good social space within the room. And it was an instant hit. It's been, it's been extremely well received. And the best part about it is it's located... 
away from, as I refer to it, the madding crowd because you can enjoy all of the all that goes on in the casino. And then you go hide out. And then you hide out. And in if I place. remember correctly, it has its own separate entrance. It does, very much so, right off of Flamingo Road. And so it's, it's, a, it's a private enclave, really, when you think about it. All right, so that's something that you listened to and it worked. Give me one that you tried that went, uh-uh. Um, I think I think it's probably something that's in the past. Is uh, we had a bar called the Shadow Bar, and it it had a brief it had a brief run where it was an extremely popular bar, and then that whole concept kind of died out. Why? Um, I th I just think that people moved on to other things because there wasn't anything to sustain the what had been created in there. It was just a bar. It was it was a bar, but it had this background uh, dancers, music. And it, it, it didn't last. It, it worked for a brief period of time, and then it moved on. So now what we've created in its place, which I think is very exciting, is our new Vista Lounge. I just and, passed it, yeah. And you have to go check it out. It is That's the John Rockwell thing? That's correct. It, it, the, the actual skyline changes, doesn't it? it? That's correct. All the, all the skylines of the major cities of the world are featured in there, and it's very unique. It's hard to describe. Now, there are certain things that this hotel has never changed since I've come, since I first came here in, what, 1971? It's still down there, Cleopatra's Barge. That thing never moves. <laughs> you know what? And Cleopatra's Barge is probably the most photographed location in the hotel, aside from the Caesars um, statue in the lobby. And it's again, it's very iconic. It's When you come out to Las Vegas, when you come out to Caesars Palace, it's one of those iconic places that you have to go visit. And Matt Goss performs there, just does an amazing job. And, and if people are looking for some old-style Vegas, it's a great place to go and enjoy that cabaret type of show. Sure. I mean, every time I come back here, I just go to see if it's still there. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Uh, when I first came to Las Vegas, and this is going back to 1970-71, you had single-name stars on the Strip. You had Liza and, and Old Blue Eyes, and you had Dino, and you had, uh, you, had uh, you know, Diana Ross. And, I mean, and they would sell out their shows. They were dinner shows. Uh, I remember coming even here to Caesars Palace where they had the old Red Banquette, uh, you know, half-moon seats. With, and you had that one dinner show at night, and... And uh, it was basically designed to, to bring the high rollers in and get them out to the tables. That whole formula now has been completely revamped, and, and, and the entire business model has changed. And my next guest knows a little bit about that. He's the Senior Vice President of Entertainment right here at Caesars Palace, uh, Jason Gasworth. Did I get that right in terms of where this is going? You did, absolutely. It's a very different business than back then. And what was the, what was the tipping point? What, what turned it? Well, it's very much uh, as Las Vegas became an international destination for a whole host of things besides uh, gaming, hotel, retail, uh, dining, and entertainment. And, uh, and what really changed that was some of the headliners you mentioned um, uh, would, would sit down for a, for a little bit. But uh, really back in 2003, when uh, Celine Dion uh, started her show at, at Caesars Palace at the Coliseum, that's really when it all changed. I mean, I remember there was a time when you had the lounge acts right? You had the Jackie Gales and all those guys. And you had the, the headliners. And some of those lounge acts and headliners were actually wor working to pay back their gambling debts in those days. I mean, and they were only there not because they wanted to make money on them, 
they knew that they were drawing people who would make they, they would make their money from the tables. That's right, and uh, it really was something to bring people to, to visit uh, the, the properties. But uh, obviously, there's there's a great business of top entertainment, um, and a lot of that's really been where where again these these headliners are sitting down for some time, and instead of them touring uh, to 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 see their their fans. They're taking up residence. They're taking up residence here. They are. They are. So so you can imagine with uh, Celine uh, doing hundreds of shows a year, which really started it all. Someone at the height of her career uh, decided to to come and have everyone come visit her instead of. And uh, you didn't know that was going to work at the time. No, it was a big risk. Um, but there was a real belief uh, in, in the model, and an international superstar like Celine, who again was at the height of her career, really couldn't start it with anyone better. The other thing, when you looked at the way that, that casinos and buildings were designed, you couldn't get to the showroom without walking through the casino, right? Today, you have completely separate venues for performance. That's right, and it's a great music market, uh, not only with some of our top headliner residents. Uh, we've got a, a great uh, venue at the Link uh, Brooklyn Bowl which isn't attached to any casino and has some of the great all bands and, and classic rock bands that play there all the time. And the tickets aren't cheap. You know, you, you've got Reba McIntyre, right? Mm-hmm. Reba McIntyre and Brooks and Dunn starting next week. Right. And what's that selling at? Uh, it's selling at everywhere from $55 to $250. And, you, and those tickets are selling? They are. We're sold out. As I said, those tickets yes. are selling. Yeah. <laughs> What lessons have you learned about booking entertainment because of this model change? Sure. It, it really comes down to artists that have a wide fan base, uh, really a catalog of music, uh, something where, again, people will come and travel to see them. So one of the, the standards that we have when we look at residents are, can you call them by their first name? That's really, if you look at Celine, Elton, Rod, uh, Brittany. Shlomo. Uh, J-Lo. Shlomo. Right. No, okay. <laughs> sure, we'll, we'll look into it. Yeah, you'll get back right. to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is uh, people who, are, who obviously have, have great appeal uh, and can carry forward for a number of years with a large number of shows per year. So it's not the gambling that's drawing them in, it's the entertainment. Therefore, that's, that explains why you're making more money from the entertainment these days citywide not just Caesars, than you are from, from gambling. Yeah, that, that's right. And it's also a chance to see these artists in a far more intimate environment, these artists who will play arenas and stadiums and to be sitting in a theater of 4,000 seats or so, uh, which is in large part why people are coming specifically to, to see them in Vegas, is to have that more intimate experience. And then if, should they happen to gamble, that's okay too. That's right. It's a form of entertainment, just like all the other things that we offer. Does that also apply to the fights? Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, this is, you know, fight central for sure. And, uh, but pe- people are going to be betting on the fights. Well, people are coming to see the fights too. And in fact, they'll, they'll come and, and they want to be around it. You know, when we have these events in town, it, it really is, uh, it's not only people attending the events, but also they want to be here and, and all the celebration of it. Well, the rising tide lifts all boats. So if you've got a big fight here, the other casinos will probably do okay too. That's exactly right. So it really is a busy time for us. Yeah. And then there's the rodeo. Right. <laughs> That's the biggest surprise of all. Because if you judge people by the way they dressed, you would never understand how much money is involved in the rodeo. Because guys will walk in with boots and, and, and jeans, right, looking like they just fell off a truck, right? And they've got more money in the cage than anybody else. Yeah, it's a great time for them and a real celebration. And uh, it's it's interesting story around that. That was a relatively slower period of time in Vegas. And to bring the rodeo here, it's one of our busiest times now. We're able to program around it and have great country western music too. And it's a, it's a great time for the city. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Miles an hour, walk 500 more. The 
interesting story that happened the other day about, about departure boards. Uh, I was in Miami trying to get to Boise, Idaho, and the only way you can do that, of course, is to go through Minneapolis. And departure boards haven't told the truth since 1947. And, of course, they lied again the other day. Um, they showed the plane taking off at 325 when the incoming flight wasn't landing until 4. But you wouldn't have known that unless you looked at the arrivals board. So I just want to let everybody know, when you go to the airport, if you want to delude yourself, look at the departure board. If you want to inform yourself, look at the arrivals board. And then inform the gate agent what time the plane, tell them what time the plane is leaving, because maybe you might have some options in taking it off on another flight that was similarly delayed, but actually leaving earlier than the one you wanted to go on. All right, that's just my rant for the day. Think about that. Every time I come to Vegas, they're changing the landscape. There's another building crane. There, and even even in, in the bad times in 2008, there were building cranes. And there was this old alley. Uh, in fact, there was a hotel, I think, the Maxim. Um, and every once in a while, and then there was the Imperial Palace. And then, and then you just, well, what's going to go in there? What's going to go in there? And, and a couple of years ago, the president of Caesar said, I want to take you on a walk. And he takes me across the street, put my hard hat on, and we took a look. And he says, oh, yeah, we're going to build this here. We're going to build the world's biggest, you know, wheel. I said, yeah, right. Well, I'm sitting here in the Nobu Villa, and I'm looking out at the world's biggest wheel. And, and then, of course, what did they call it? They call it the high roller. What they call it next to it? The link. And joining me now is, well, the director of all operations for the Link Hotel, which I have to understand what that is, Stephanie Richter. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. I'm fine. So I look across. I'm looking at it right now. It says Link. It doesn't say Link Hotel. Mm -hmm. So not everybody knows you're even a hotel yet. But you're there. We are. And what makes it special? So this is an amazing project. We, um, 220, uh, 2,253 hotel rooms that have been entirely designed around a new customer and really going after that millennial okay. generation. Okay, now everybody's looking at demographics here, right? Sure. Okay, what does your new customer tell you that they want and then how did you design the hotel for them and were they faking you out? Oh, great question. Um, you know, this is a, a demographic of customers that um, really wants something that's modern and sleek, but yet approachable. And so we we have great rooms that have this modern and sleek design. And then there's also this technology component that's been injected. Like? So we have, um, you know, you can order things for your hotel room through your TV, through our Sonify app, which is fantastic. You need towels, we order them um, through this this TV. Can you steal towels that way too? Um, we would hope that you don't, <laughs> um, but uh, definitely you can order them through that. Uh, also, room service. I'll just do the steel towel application. Yeah. No, 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 no not okay. the steel towel Okay, okay, fine. But um, definitely um, get any, any of the amenities that you might want. So Actually, the one thing you have at that hotel, which I think is very, very cool, mm -hmm. right? And I haven't experienced it yet, but I was told about it. And the concept alone said, okay, I'm in. That one amenity, which it's not even an amenity, it's a design function, you have those cabana rooms. That's correct. Which means, means you walk right from your room to the pool. I mean, you're there. Absolutely. We have 25 cabana rooms that have this private patio um, that you can go out and sit and enjoy the afternoon and the evening. You can have a, a server from the pool come around and deliver food for you. Um, it's just a great experience. But then when you're done, you just go right back right to your to room. Pool. That's right. Absolutely. So you're not going through public areas. You're just there. You're just there. So it gives you the semblance or at least the, 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 well, the appearance of privacy when, in fact, you're at a big pool. Absolutely. All right. So that was a cool design thing. It was a very cool design. Right. Absolutely. What's the one thing that you tried as a design that you thought was really going to work that didn't work. Oh, 
That's a tough one. Um, you know, we've we've been very thoughtful about a lot of things. There are some um, that are a little challenging. We still like? deal with uh, the arrival experience of the property, right? So we still um, have a wash that we have to deal with, um, and we have you have a what? We have so when it rains here in Vegas, where's the water going to go? And in some cases, it, it comes right through our parking garage. So that's a little bit of a challenge. No, that's a new guest experience. Yeah, Get, we call it our water ride. Uh, it's, call it's a great the water feature. ride. While you're waiting for your room, Mr. Greenberg, would you would you like to have the little boogie board? Absolutely, yeah, okay. <laughs> absolutely. So we, we can't hide from that. That's certainly something that uh, that we we have to experience. But um, you know, we've we've been very thoughtful about a lot of the elements that we have at the property. But you know, here's how you solve the water ride problem: with all the stolen towels, I'll give back to you. You, <laughs> you. you can use those. You see, <laughs> no. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.